Welcome back to Wrong Island. I'm Max. Also with me is Sean and Freik, full team, back together again and with Oscar producing for us. Um, We've got a special Queensland election wrap episode. Um, We're delighted to have uh, Joanna Horton with us. Um, So Joanna Horton is a writer and activist living in Brisbane. She was a campaigner on the Greens party candidate Amy McMahon's successful run for the seat of South Brisbane uh, in the recent election and gained Twitter infamy for her risky, risque online humour along the way. Her work has appeared in Overland, The Millions and The Toast, among other places. She's one of the regular hosts of the Flood Media Podcast, a Brisbane-based radical media organisation. It's a long-term flood listener. I was very excited to have... um, Joe, come on and talk to us about what's happened recently with the Queensland election and the, the Greens' great success. So thanks very much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to talk about all this. Yes, excellent. Can you give us maybe to kick off just like a quick wrap-up of um, what exactly happened um, in the Queensland election? Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of the Greens' performance, which is obviously what I'm like most focused on, yeah. Um, we doubled our seats in Parliament. Um, so we last l- last state election in 2017, we won our first ever seat in Queensland State Parliament, Maywa. Um, and this time around on Saturday, we won South Brisbane, uh, which was yes yeah, the seat where I um, where I live, where I campaign, where I've been involved in um, Greens politics there for about four years. So it was a very um, a very big win for us and a, a great um, feather in our cap. Mm. Um, I guess, yeah, in terms of the broader results, so, um, yeah, in Maywar, our existing seat where Michael Berkman was returned, he got a 14% swing on the primary vote, which is huge. So that went yeah. from being a very narrow Greens win last time. He actually only won it by 78 votes in 2017. Um, is now a super safe Greens seat. Um, in South Brisbane, um, we, as I was kind of saying before we started the show, like it was a bit less like shock and awe. Um, I think everyone expected us to pick the seat up um, and we did. Because, yeah, in 2017 was where we made our big gains in that seat in terms of getting a 12% swing um, and coming kind of out of nowhere. And uh, this time we kind of just finished the job really and got over the line. Um, And, uh, yeah, we also got a big swing in another seat called Cooper um, where – we're just – they're still doing the count. I would say we're probably not going to get there, um, although mm. it's very, very close. We're about 500 votes behind. Um, and if we can slip into second place, then um, we may win because of – because <laughs> hilariously both uh, – we're getting preferences from both the Labor Party and the LNP. They both preferenced each other last, um, which is very – you know, <laughs> actually has the potential to be very good for us if we can get into second place in a lot of these seats. Um yeah, so overall, like a, I think a very good result for the Greens. And obviously, the Labor Party formed majority government, which um, was – I think a lot of people were expecting a minority government situation. Um, and while, you know, it would have been good for us to get be able to get into the balance of power in particular, um, you know, we're happy to see – I guess happy to see Labor forming, forming government rather than the LNP and, um, yeah, feel like we're in a strong position um, to – go forward for the federal election next year and mm. um, and in the state election, the next state election in four years' time. So, yeah, overall, the Greens have, you know, and particularly in this part of the world and this part of Brisbane, have gone from pretty much, you know, almost nothing to having, yeah, um, being a really significant force in Queensland politics. 
Yeah, so um, Amy McMahon won yes. the seat. Yes. Um, and so what was the what's the um, count looking like in terms of her primary vote? Um, just have a look here. So she is on 37.9% of the primary vote right now. Um, so that represents a swing of about 3.6%. Uh, so it's kind of like, I guess, as, as postals come in, um, they're breaking more towards Labor and Liberal, which is, I think, pretty, you know, fairly common for postal votes. There's a lot of older people, um, particularly with COVID, who just voted by postal this time. Um, and then on the two-party preferred, she's on 55.8%, so which is a represents a swing of 9.4%. So in the end, like a very comfortable win. Um, you know, we <laughs> we were, as I said, like we were expecting to pick the seat up. We were we didn't think we really had to worry, but we were not looking forward to a situation like a, a Maywa 2017 situation where we had to, you know, the count went on for days and days, and mm-hmm. it, was, it yeah. was all very stressful. So, um, yeah, it was really good on Saturday night just to have them declare the seat. <laughs> um, really, the feeling is is one of relief. <laughs> it seems to have. Um, really hurt labor feelings. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Jackie Tried was unseated. Yes. So, I mean, this to me is quite interesting and quite um, puzzling in a way because, like, you know, like I said, they did expect to lose the seat, I think. Um, certainly, Jackie Tried positioned herself as the under or tried to position herself as the underdog in a lot of her campaign really focused on saying, yeah, you know, I'm in for the fight of my political life. Um, Palaszczuk famously did not campaign in South Brisbane at all, um, would not really say anything to support Jackie Trad in the media, and even I didn't think she even acknowledged her um, in her victory speech on Saturday night. So, Why do you, why do you think that was? Um, I think Jackie Trad just became like a bit of a liability in the media, um, very like negative associations with her because of – you know, rolling corruption scandals for the past six months. Um, and I think, yeah, they just wanted to dissociate themselves um, from that particular uh, candidate. Um, but, yeah, anyway, so I guess it, it doesn't come as a huge shock to anyone that they lost the seat. And meanwhile, they won the election. <laughs> like they, they actually managed yeah. to form a majority, which wasn't looking, um, wasn't looking at all like a sure thing and it ended up happening. But yeah, if you were to like look at the social media profiles of high-profile labor figures, Queensland labor figures, um, or even just watch their performances on election night, um, you'd be forgiven for thinking they'd like you know been dealt a catastrophic blow or that they'd lost the election, which isn't the case at all. So it's incredible to me. I'm like they're being very sore winners somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know. Um... Max, if you saw the or Frog, if you saw the um the ABC coverage on Saturday night, yeah, yeah, I was watching some of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I actually yeah, yeah. caught up on it today. But yeah. that was yeah, it was really it was such an awkward panel. But yeah, um, yeah. So was it is it Stephen Miles? Stephen Miles, the health minister, yeah, um, yeah, and deputy premier now. Yeah, he. Um, what did he say? He said like freaks and um, called the Greens like freaks and loonies, I think, and then said we will never form government with the Greens, never ever. <laughs> And it's just like, I don't know, a real lack of self-reflection there. Like, you have you know, you've lost a seat. Um, usually, I guess, the, I guess the, the mature thing to do is just be like, all right, well, you know, congratulations to Amy McMahon or whatever. And, mm. um, you know, we'll listen and try and do better. Or, you know, like, obviously, we have to change our strategy in the inner city. Um, 
But yeah, no, to be like that petty about it um, is kind of shocking to me. Uh, and to be honest, like, it's quite interesting because in 2017, when we ran in South Brisbane and came really, really close to unseating Jackie Trad that time um, and, and didn't get there, she gave a uh, victory, victory night speech at her party, which um, was filmed. And it was like one of the bitterest victory speeches I've ever mm. seen. It was shocking. Like mm. a lot of, I mean, I remember a lot of people watching that and just being like really taken aback by the vitriol she was hurling at the Greens. Um, and that was, and yeah, a lot of people, I mean, a few people thought that having watched that, they were like, oh, that's almost like her concession speech just coming three years early, mm. you know? Like she obviously was so shook up by it and was not, um, wasn't looking to like, you know, come to the table in good faith and sort of try and understand why voters are turning away from her and, and the party. Um, she was just like going hell for leather at the Greens. And I saw the same thing um, in the the coverage on Saturday night from, from the Labor Party figures. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like Stephen looks like he was about to drive his car into a dam or something. <laughs> like he was so angry and so like frustrated. Yeah. And after, I think once like Anthony had called it, Anthony Green had called it for yeah. Labor and this is like a, a good win. This is like yeah. a swing to Labor. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, the panellists like cut to Stephen. They were like, let's get a response. And he was just like, I can barely talk. I'm, you know, like he, yeah. he was so um, muted and disappointed, obviously, about Jackie Trad's seat or Jackie mm. Trad's loss. That the, yeah. that the ABC panellists were actually confused. They were like, sorry, can we just get a read on your mood? Like, we don't know. Like, aren't you happy? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why are they so obsessed? It's a, it's a weird kind of obsession to get stuck on that when they've actually won. Why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you something about Janice Ian. We were best friends in middle school. I know, right? It's so embarrassing. I don't even... Whatever. So then in eighth grade, I started going out with my first boyfriend, Kyle, who was totally gorgeous, but then he moved to Indiana. And Janice was like weirdly jealous of him. Like if I would blow her off to hang out with Kyle, she'd be like, why didn't you call me back? And I'd be like, why are you so obsessed with me? So I, I do want to um, get into talking about, I guess, sort of the, what I would say is sort of the, the unique or special politics of the Queensland Greens and sort of what your politics are and, and how you came to um, have such success. But I first first just wanted to cover off the, the election just to ask you why, like you said, like the everyone was predicting that there would it would be very close and that it would be um, possibly minority Labor government and they turned out to do, do very well. I guess... Yeah, what what's your read on on why they did so well? Um, my read, and you know, I would um, the caveat is that I was only really campaigning in South Brisbane and really focused on on the seat, so I I didn't actually campaign in places where you know the Labor Party did well. Mm. Um, but if I had to if I had to say, I would say that um, that you know the pandemic um, has shifted the political terrain everywhere basically and I think like the US is another good example of this you know the, yeah. the secondary election that's coming up in a couple of days the small one now we've got the big one over with yeah um so I think in Queensland uh like so if you compare it to say the federal election last year um we had and we, we also ran a really big campaign in the seat of Griffith um there was such a strong anti-political sentiment among voters um and really like a kind of 
intense, deep-seated frustration with the status quo and with politicians in general, uh, which I think is probably still there to some extent. But this time around, I felt I didn't feel that as as keenly from from the voters. Like there was a little bit more of like, oh, you know, I think it manifested more in people saying. I'm not paying attention to politics right now because, you know, I have bigger things on my mind. Um, the pandemic's more important or it's just like, you know, it's not, um, yeah, it's not the primary thing that I care about or that I'm concerned about. Um, so I think in the end that translated to just like, all right, we'll stick with the status quo, you know, um, we'll yeah. just go with what we've got because uh, I, I wouldn't say that anyone was excited about the Queensland Labor Party's vision. In fact, I don't think I could name a single policy that they actually campaigned on this time. Um, mm. But they weren't excited by the LNP either. And yeah. um, Labor was running really hard on, um, you know, Anastasia's kept us safe. Um, that was their main messaging. In fact, it was kind of funny. Uh, a few weeks oh, – no, actually, it probably would have been last week. My conception of time is completely uh, <laughs> skewed. But a few of our campaigners reported that they got um, polled by, like, um, you know, a, a pollster, a market research company, and they were testing um, – lines like which which one of these lines would make you more likely to vote for Jackie Trad and one was um she is a strong effective member and we need her to keep the LNP out and the other one was um Jackie's part of Anastasia's labor team and they've kept Queensland safe from COVID mm. and um we noticed that then a couple of days later they started using the second one um, yeah. on the pre-poll booths so that that clearly was the message that they had determined would cut through um, it wasn't enough to save them in South Brisbane, obviously, but I think it cut through sufficiently in the rest of the state um, to deliver a Labor majority. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard like when Liberals have been interviewed about their loss or, yeah, Liberal members, I've heard them oh, and National Party members as well cite the pandemic and just say, you know, that it's really hard to win against an incumbent government during a health crisis mm-hmm. um, and you know, like kind of amusingly not say, oh, the government's done a good job during the health crisis, but say, but instead say they've done a good job marketing themselves like, during the health crisis. Yeah. When I was like hearing that come through, I was thinking uh, they're overplaying this. This also has to be like a, um, this also is saying something about, you know, Deb Frecklington and, you know, the Liberal Party, like, you know, just not being a winnable party right now. But then again, I think people for all the faults of the ALP do associate labor with putting money into social services mm. um, and into healthcare, and the liberals with especially with you know campbell newman former liberal premier's um record you know taking money out um yeah. and it obviously does make sense during a pandemic when you know the public public funds are so important that people wouldn't want to rock that boat exactly um yeah no that you bring up a really good point uh, which is the legacy of campbell newman in queensland because for all the kind of mythology about Queensland being a really right-wing state, we've only had a very few handful of um, liberal state governments. Like it's been a pretty solidly Labor state um, for most of its history. So, but yeah, the the spectre of Campbell Newman still looms very large in people's um, memories. And certainly, like this time around, they did a lot, like a lot of their signage on the booths on election day had his face um, next to Deb Recklington's and said, like, don't risk it this time. Um, you know, they, the LNP want to cut jobs, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think um, that that is still obviously an effective tactic um, 
just rem- yeah, reminding people wow. how bad it was last time. I mean, you'd have to be like pretty, you know, devastated about your political legacy if your face was being used like six years yeah. or so after you've been in government to, actually, to yeah. warn people off your party. Funny story about Campbell Newman, actually. Um, I worked for uh, a couple of years. I worked um, in the same building as a bunch of like tech startups and he um, – his one of his post-election ventures was um, running a um, like an angel investment firm, I think they're called, or they they are the people who give money to tech startups. So, yeah. um, deeply cursed project at every level. But it was him and like a couple of other people um, running that firm. And I saw him in the office like once or twice maybe and then he completely stopped coming in. So it was just this one guy running this firm. But um, it was one of those glass-walled offices so you could see everything and they had on their coffee table um, a copy of Steve Jobs's biography and a Make America Great Again cap. Those were their, wow. <laughs> those were their two um, office props. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. I wonder if that was by design or if they're really just that naff. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it was a if it was personally designed to troll me, it was very effective. Yeah. <laughs> Well, but, well, I guess the other thing that we that we would be remiss to um, pass over in terms of the Labour Party is um, mm. the um, Mean Girls saga. Yes. Um, so <laughs> this has definitely brought you to, very briefly to uh, uh, sort of national prominence and um, notoriety. Um, could, yeah, can you tell us about what what happened with the, with this one? Yeah. So um, I actually remember making this tweet. Um, and at the time, I obviously had no idea what a big deal it was going to be. So um, what happened was Jackie Trad was quoted in the media. Um, I think it, some journal asked her about the Greens saying that they have a chance to win up to five seats in state parliament. And um, she brushed it off by saying, the Greens political party do this at every election. They're obsessed with themselves and with putting our state at risk during our economic recovery or something. But just the line, like, they're obsessed with themselves. I was like, who says that? <laughs> That's, That's such so a Regina funny. George thing to say. In fact, I was almost briefly convinced it was a line of dialogue from Mean Girls. Like, I was like, is there not a point in the movie? <laughs> but I think I might have been thinking that the um, why are you so obsessed with me quote. Anyway, so um, I screen capped that part of her quote that appeared in the article and posted it um, on my personal Twitter account where I had fewer than 500 followers um, with the caption, um, the, uh, the you know, from Mean Girls that says, uh, this uh, this party is the nastiest skank bitch I've ever met. They're a fugly slut. Do not trust them, which is obviously what um, Regina writes in the burn book, um, which, like a particularly kind of vitriolic um, Mean Girls comment and put that up, like got a handful of likes, just forgot about it. And then um, weeks and weeks later, like I think even a month later, mm. um, oh. I was at the pub, um, <laughs> at the pub at my uni in the middle of the day. I'm a PhD student, so that's generally what I do on Wednesday afternoons. Um, and I got a phone call um, from my partner, who is the state strategist, the Queensland Greens, and he was like, the Brisbane Times have got a hold of one of your tweets. <laughs> and I was like, what? Um, which one? And then he explained it. And I um, originally just thought, oh, this is a big misunderstanding. Like, any, like I just naively assumed that the journo had misread what I was saying, and that as soon as the joke was explained to him, that <laughs> i.e. that like this is me parodying Trad's tone in the in the quote, yeah. Yeah. Um, that that would just go away. Um, but obviously that didn't happen. It ran. 
a couple of days later and then just blew like way out of proportion. Um, and of course, when they reported it in the media or when they when the Brisbane Times reported it, they didn't. Uh, I'm still kind of angry about this, actually. They didn't just include a screen grab of what the tweet actually was. They just put in my caption. So that just took it way out of context and made, made mm. it sound like I'm calling mm. the ALP nasty skank bitch or whatever, yeah. uh, which was never the case. Um, so it was like a bit cheeky the way they reported it, actually. And then, then of course, like that was picked up by, um, you know, by Labor Party pages um, and by various Labor or Labor-affiliated figures and uh, it was reported or misreported or strongly implied in some cases that I had called Jackie Trad personally the nastiest gang bitch I've ever met. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was like objectively one of the stupidest scandals I've ever come across. I was thinking, okay, so maybe if you've got these like boomers in the Labor Party or at the Brisbane Times or something and they're not looking at the caption and they're just reading your tweet and they have no like <laughs> reference point like they don't know mean girls they don't get it they don't yeah. understand twitter like maybe they would like get confused and upset for like 14 seconds before somebody explained it to them but yeah i mean obviously you've even said like this party in the tweet whereas the way yeah. it was presented when you, you know you and this tweet you know were being trolled pretty hard mm-hmm. un- which was a bit unfortunate yeah like yeah. sort of nasty to watch it go down but the way it was being presented was as though you had said, yeah, Jackie is yes. X, Y, Z. And, you know, like um, I remember watching all of this like slowly start to build momentum online and then it reached a fever pitch. Um, and then at a certain point, even before me or the campaign put out any statement, some of the more like online left started to un- like someone actually um, c- started circulating a screen grab of the original tweet because I locked my account at that point. So, um, but they circulated a screen grab and then people were like, wait a second, I understand this joke. That's not what you're <laughs> saying at all. And then it kind yeah. of organically started to turn back our way a little bit. Um, but I think among young people who understood the tone of the internet and the tone of Twitter, um, I think it was really a generational divide. This- girl is the nastiest skank bitch I've ever met. Do not trust her. She is a fugly slut. I mean, and I've seen, like, you know, um, Labor people, like, you know, capitalising on this, like, online, um, mm-hmm. in t- like, in terms of saying, you know, the Greens are this, the Greens are that, and I always see other people jump in and say, wrong, don't be disingenuous, don't lie, don't misrepresent. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's getting It's the same posh. Labor people who are, you know, retweeting friendly Geordies and, 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 and loving his, his Can stuff. Can we just, like, briefly ask you about, like, what's the deal with friendly Geordies like during yeah. this election? Oh, I don't know. Like I wish I knew. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> I stayed out of the Common Sense Brigade group for my own mental health, but I had um, quite a few friends who were in the group and sh- shared and, some of the tastiest screenshots. Can you screenshots. explain that group? Yeah. Uh, so he set up a group called the Common Sense Brigade, which as far as I can tell is essentially a sort of troll farm. Um, their mission was to make memes um, that – they were going to share in boomer Facebook groups convincing people to vote for Labor. 
Um, and <laughs> obviously it paid off hugely. And, you know, congratulations to the Common Sense Brigade yeah, for winning the Queensland election. Yeah. They did it. Um, but <laughs> they were particularly focused on the key seats. Um, well, they were focused on South Brisbane and also McConnell, uh, which was another yeah. Labor seat that the Greens contested um, with a view to winning it. And we didn't pick that one up. Um, but it the Grace Grace is the sitting MP there. She's a Labor minister. Like they really didn't want to lose her, and obviously Jackie Trad in South Brisbane is um, yeah very important to the to the party um, or was until yeah, about a year ago. But we can talk more about that. Anyway, um, so yeah, they were trying to defend those seats and um, getting very very upset with uh, the Greens for daring to run in those seats. <laughs> um, one of the, I mean, it just kind of got more and more unhinged as the election went on like one of the funniest parts was when the greens one of our policies we announced which turned out to be hugely popular was um free hospital parking so the idea was to buy back um parking spots from those private companies that uh make tons of money off them um and essentially yeah nationalize them and make them free for um for visitors and patients and a bunch of people in the common sense brigade were like wait this is a really good policy like why isn't this labor policy and then they started just fighting with each other um a bunch of people left the group some people were like no i'm gonna vote one greens now like why why are you just like why won't you admit this is a good policy um and then the other the other real high point of that group was when um it was like a couple of days before the election day and um, they were like, all right, we really have to, um, you know, mobilize our, our, our forces now and start doing some serious meme warfare. So um, I think we should print out some of our memes and go around letterboxing them, yeah. <laughs> um, which unfortunately, as far as I know, never happened. Um, I had a friend who was so keen. He was like, what can I do to make this happen? I'm going to send them a, an Officeworks printing voucher. Like I need to see some letterbox memed, uh, letterbox memes. But yeah, um, didn't That's happen. That's very cringe. That's very <laughs> yeah. Memes are over. Memes are yeah. over. And the, the memes they made were not good either. Um, like I'm not going to try and explain me, like give you a, a verbal representation of the memes on a podcast, but I would recommend, um, yeah, if you can, I'm sure there are screenshots of them floating around online. Um, yeah, that was that's basically the idea of, of the Common Sense Brigade. And so it was Friendly Geordies. Um... Yeah, so he like run he set up that group and um, he was yeah I guess the unofficial probably actually official um, leader. It's mm. sort of like it's unclear um, what Friendly Geordies' relationship is to the Labor Party. Um, as far as I know, there's no evidence that he's being paid by them, but mm. um, there are certainly questions around yeah his relationship with them given that he campaigns pretty hard for them and makes a lot of videos um yeah. promoting them yeah hangs out with kevin rudd yeah that's right oh man i forgot about that so many cooked things happened in the last week like my <laughs> my brain's kind of glossing over some of those i don't know well i just i have no evidence for this at all but i just i just feel like there are you know hacks on the right of the party who are just feeding him like their personal like vendettas and information um, like, you know, on his phone all the time and he's just like channel, channeling it into his media and perhaps, you know, half the time he doesn't even understand why he hates who he hates or something. That's just, that's yeah. just a hunch. Look, I mean, it's certainly been an interesting journey for him because I remember when he first became a thing making kind of funny YouTube videos around 2012, 2013, um, and he wasn't affiliated with the Labour Party. He was just like a yeah. comedian. And I, I remember finding them pretty funny at the time. Um, 
although I was also involved with student politics then, so arguably wasn't, you know, that wasn't the highest point in my political journey either. But um, <laughs> yeah, he, he was, and it was, they were like anti, anti-liberal government, definitely anti-LNP. Yeah. Um, but then at some point, yeah, like his relationship with the Labour Party shifted to a much, much closer one. I mean, I think he's made a video about like the Greens, what, you know, why, why did the Greens vote down the ETS or something like that, oh, which God. only true believers <laughs> care about. Yeah. So that other line of attack, um, that Chan mentioned about like the Greens being a middle class party, um, and that they're somehow the you know that they're the only working class party out there. Um, it sort of brings up an interesting question, I think, about um, the Queensland Greens politics because from my angle or our angle in in Victoria, it certainly seems like this is a bit of a distinguishing feature of the Queensland Greens, maybe compared to other Greens parties or, or Greens um, politics around the country in that you actually do have a class politics um, and um, particular way of expressing that. So, yeah, I wonder if you could, I do think that that is a bit of, yeah, a, a strong distinguishing feature and maybe part of the reason why you've been so successful. Um, maybe, yeah, you could tell us a bit about that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, yeah, I think you've summed it up in that, um, I guess, through our politics, we we do try and have a, a, a strong class consciousness, um, and have made a sort of almost I would say yeah a deliberate decision um, to move away from talking about the environment um, because to be honest, like everyone knows that the Greens stand for the environment. Like we've got the environment vote wrapped up, and I think you know at the end of the day, like if we want to make gains electorally, if we want to win seats, we have to talk to the probably. 95% of people for whom the environment is not their biggest issue. Mm. Um, so I would say, you know, a lot of the members um, identify with some kind of, oh, I, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to actually speak for the ideology of other members, but certainly I would identify with the democratic socialist position. Um, but our platform for this election has been pretty straightforward tax and spend social democracy. Um, mm. So we're, you know, uh, taxing big, Mining companies um, in Queensland, in particular, you know that's a um, particularly sensitive issue because we've had a mining boom for the last well, it's sort of dying off now, but the last ten or twenty years, you know, we've seen I think four hundred four hundred eighty billion dollars of resources exported um, from Queensland, and the the royalty rate is only seven percent. So it's like a lot of money that we've missed out on as a state. So the Queensland Greens stand for yeah, increasing royalties um, on mining corporations um, and taxes on big banks and property developers with the three that we talked about. Um, and I think the three that, you know, a lot of people identify, would identify those as kind of ruling class institutions. Um, uh, and yeah, using that money to, to fund essential, well, not even essential, just like proper public services, the services we all need to live a good life. Um, so kind of, messaging in the federal election particularly we talked a lot about living a good life um about you know this almost kind of utopian ideal of we only live once so why shouldn't we have free public transport why shouldn't we be talking about a shorter work week um so in a way like quite big ideas like yeah going beyond that kind of basic social democracy to talk more philosophically almost about Mm. those things um but yeah in terms of policy um things that were i would say like the biggest vote winners this election from my personal experience campaigning um, 
were, yeah, I mentioned the free hospital parking, which turned out to be a sort of surprise banger. Like we only announced it, I think, two weeks before the election um, and it just like everyone loved it. Um, we mentioned it on the door and people's eyes would just light up. And um, the other thing that I won a lot of votes on was talking about um, putting government, like state-owned manufacturing hubs in um, north and central Queensland, so places where they've had, you know, the, the mining boom is basically now sputtering out in those um, communities that are just desperate for jobs, like really, like that's a huge issue for them. That's, you know, what their survival basically hinges on. Um, the government should be, you know, starting manufacturing their um manufacturing solar panels and wind turbines. So, you know, you're sort of killing two birds with one stone um, in terms of making a just transition um, to renewables. And um, I think, interestingly, my sense was um, that that line about state-owned manufacturing um, was particularly effective in the COVID situation. So, mm. talk to a lot of people, even sort of probably liberal voters or right-wing voters mm. who said, you know, I really don't like that we're so dependent um, on, like we've offshored all our manufacturing, basically. Um, I don't like that, you know, we're vulnerable in situations like this. Um, and, you know, from there, it's just kind of really a hop, skip and a jump to being like, well, should the state not be providing some of these services? And they were, yeah, on board with it. So, yeah, I think um, in terms of the Queensland Greens, I, yeah, that's basically where we're at. Um Ever since we kind of started talking about these issues, we've seen our votes grow and grow. So mm -hmm. um, I think it's, yeah, it is a very effective strategy. And just in terms of reaching new voters, like um, I think that's that's the way to go. What would you say were like the central central platforms of um, Amy McMahon's campaign specifically? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one because like we almost – so, I, okay, I think – in the area, in the electorate of South Brisbane, um, the issue that comes up over and over again is overdevelopment. So it's um, an inner city seat um, and, yeah, property development has been able to just go crazy in the last five to ten years, um, particularly in places like West End. But even where I live in Wollongabba, um, there's like must be almost 25 or 30 stories. Um, a tower has gone up like down the end of the road um, and tons more of similar heights are just kind of popping up in what used to be a very quiet residential area with mostly kind of single story um, family housing. So yeah, uh, overdevelopment is huge. And it's not just the fact that um, people don't like the towers or their NIMBYs or whatever. Um, it's just, it's also that the infrastructure of the area can't keep pace with all the new residents. So you're kind of having a, a huge influx of tens of thousands of um, new residents and then no commensurate improvement in public transport um, or, you know, setting aside um, more green space. Uh, we only, you know, we just got a new high school um, and that was only because uh, Jackie Tran was desperately trying to shore up the seat. So, or the, you know, before then the schools had been way over capacity. So that certainly comes up and I think people just feel really frustrated with the development process and the, the fact that they're effectively cut out from any meaningful participation in, that, in how their neighbourhoods um, feel and and how they how things work um, in the city, and when we won our first seat, first council seat, and mm. I think you know this is where we, where it all began really in in the local council elections in 2016, we picked up the council seat of the Gabba, um, the first Greens council seat in Queensland, um, and that sits within South Brisbane, um, and that's Jonathan's tree. Um, that was 
the issue we talked about the most was development. And that was really what I think got Jono elected was that he ran on this platform, this quite clear, bold platform of, um, you know, being on the side of people who felt that they have lost control of the city um, and almost, yeah, almost articulating kind of a right to the city platform through his politics. Um, so, yeah, and if, and and then the other thing we we talked about a lot is, is corporate donations. So um, the Labor Party have now, after I think last, yeah, it, was, it would have been the last state election, um, after immense pressure and feeling the heat from the Greens, they stopped taking donations from property developers. Um, so well done, guys. But they still take donations from other corporations, of course, um, still right. have cash for access meetings, all that stuff. And um, that just like yeah everyone hates it like you bring that up and people you know I've often just had conversations with people who are otherwise not very interested in politics never thought about the greens not really interested in any political party um and then you know you just mentioned the greens are the only party that don't take corporate donations and immediately they'll be like yeah that's good so yeah I think um those are some of the issues we talked about a lot and that um a lot that resonated with a lot of people that's such a universal right now like that really Mm. that that pulls in people irrespective of a left right yeah definitely oh 100 percent. yeah 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 um and it's just like i mean i think it, it really that's one of the things that really frustrated the the labor party um and certainly my experience of being on like voting booths with labor campaigners they get really frustrated at that because they just can't really counter it like yeah. you know um there's no real argument you can make against the idea that you should yeah. get corporate money out of politics. <laughs> and, you know, presumably a lot of them would love to, like would love to be able to sort of like, you know, put their soapbox in front of them and say, well, actually, you know, we're the same, you know, we don't we don't take those donations, like, you know, we're for the public, mm-hmm. we're not we're not a mm-hmm. neoliberal party, but it's just not true and they're frustrated. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Frustrated. you're coming up against, against the hard truth. Yeah. Like, yeah, rather than saying like, okay, guys, how how are we going to deal with neoliberalism? Serious, seriously, we need to talk. That you know, yeah. it's just easier to say fuck the greens. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, the other the line they try to use, which I've never seen really work, is oh, the greens took money from Duncan Turpey. So Duncan Turpey's Duncan? that. So he's this eccentric guy. Um, I think he ran or used to run uh, What If the um the travel company. Um, but he made millions and millions of dollars basically by counting cards at a casino. Um, so he, so their line is like, Duncan Turpy, they take money from a big gambler. <laughs> and it just doesn't make sense on so many levels. Like, A, he, take, he made his money by um, essentially beating casinos at their own game. And B, like, if you're looking for if, – if he's, like, trying to influence the, que- the Greens to some kind of, like, pro-gambling agenda um, – I'm yet to see the evidence of it in our platform. In fact, like we're <laughs> incredibly anti-casino and anti-pokey like the whole way through. So he's, um, it's a very bad strategy if that is indeed what Duncan is up to. Yeah, those poor casinos is not really The other um, thing that you've written about actually for a, um, a great uh, essay in Overland was about uh, door knocking. And I guess yeah, sort of more that methodology of like of of, of having conversations with people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wondered if you could tell us a bit about um, your experience doing that door knocking campaigning and how that yeah. fits into the, yeah the Greens, um, Queensland Greens. Honestly, like I could talk about this all day, so I'll try and sort of keep it briefish. But 
Door knocking for me has been like the most important part of my political education um, and my my kind of evolution um, as a political subject. So I um, never thought that I could door knock. Like um, naturally, well, by nature, I'm a fairly introverted person, don't love talking to strangers. Um, and so when, when the Greens started, when we were running this campaign for council in 2016 for Jonathan's three seat of the Gabba, as my boyfriend Max was the campaign manager. So I said, I'll um, go to one door knock as a birthday present for you. Um, and so I went along and I was just so surprised by how much easier it was than I thought it was going to be. Um, how people were like perfectly happy to have a chat, didn't consider it really an intrusion that you were there. So I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll go back. Maybe I'll go back. And four years later, um, yeah, I've been to a truly insane number of door knocks. Um, and the reason I find it so refreshing and so important, well, is a few reasons, but I guess um, it's very easy as leftists to be stuck in your bubble. Like, in fact, it's almost inevitable, um, especially if you're an online leftist. Um, and you can really, like before I went door knocking, I had some, you know, very, I would say, incorrect ideas about like how voters thought, what they cared about, what, you know, what types of people voted for which party. Um, and all of that turned out to be almost completely wrong. Um, and you could really only get that understanding by going out and doing it. And I just think like if we're going to be, if we're serious about building a mass movement, if we're serious about even kind of going beyond um like I would certainly want to see the Greens going beyond what they are now in terms of not being just a political party but being something closer to a, a genuine working class movement, then that involves going out and talking to people who you don't know. Um, yeah, so what else can I say? Like I think the experience of doing it um, is very bonding for like the campaigners individually. So like our one of the things that I think has made the, Green, the, the South Brisbane Greens in this part of the world such a – successful electoral force is um, that we're a group of young, mostly young people who are like incredibly, well, very committed and very like bonded almost by the experience of campaigning. And um, yeah, it's kind of hard to describe this kind of the affective nature of being part of a big door knocking campaign and like what it feels like when you come back from the door knock and everyone tells their stories and debriefs um, and yeah, just like the, the, the feeling of organizing with other people to, to do something bigger than yourself is very, very powerful. Um, and I think it, it definitely changes like even how you experience your city, you know, like I walk around all mm. the time and think, oh yeah, I don't like this street and this is what happened here. Or, oh, this is a street that floods all the time and they always get, you know, or they, they can never find parking on this street. So it, it really like puts you in touch with, um, with the, commu the community in a much more real way than I think you would get if you were just kind of, I don't know, what else, how else do people campaign? Just making social media posts or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I'm in Melbourne, you know, we're just starting to emerge from this lockdown. And um, this is this is sort of, you know, by the by, but um, something that I've noticed just being at home all the time in a place where I've lived for years is that I, I do know the neighbours now. Like they've, you know, we've been knocking on each other's doors saying, you know, do you guys need this? Do you guys want this? I've had like old folks come over and give me plants from their garden when I'm gardening um, just because they like I've become familiar to them. Um, so it took me like four or five years of living in this place to feel like I actually like lived in this, like, you know, in this area of my street. Um, and yeah, it's, it makes a difference to, to how you experience being around. That's a really different way to get there, obviously. Yeah. 
and I think like I mean honestly a, a, a fair chunk of door knocking is kind of almost social work for you know people who are older people who are lonely um we've all kind of been invited in and been given little presents or um been given like snacks or cake or water or whatever um so yeah it's just a quite a lovely kind of community experience um as well and just yeah and and talking to people about like so few people have ever had someone come to their door and say you know what do you care about what are the issues that Mm. matter to you so I think I should clarify as well that when we're door knocking we're not going in um with the agenda of um kind of lecturing people about what our you know like here are some greens policies I'm going to read them to you and then then you're going to tell me you vote you're going to vote for us or whatever in fact you know I think one of the misconceptions about door knocking is that you have to know a lot about Greens policy to do it, and you absolutely don't. Like, you really, really don't. It's 80% just listening to people tell you what they care about, what they're worried about, um, what makes them angry or concerned about the future. So, um, yeah, it, it's definitely, like, it's in no way what I expected, but it's turned out to be something that's um, been really valuable for me on a personal level, but obviously also an extremely effective electoral strategy. And... Uh, I'm very glad we were able to keep doing it in Queensland because um, with COVID, we initially in around sort of May, June, July, we thought, oh, shit, we're not going to be able to door knock. Like we're going to have to switch our entire campaign to phone banking. So we did do that for a few months. Like we only had phone conversations and those were like fairly effective too, but um, it wasn't quite the same. And certainly the hit rate was a lot lower. Like I think for for all the calls we made, only about 10% of them turned out to be like proper conversations because Mm the barrier to um, opting out is so much lower. You can just hang up the phone. Whereas if you're at someone's door, then usually they'll just hear you out at least. Um, so, yeah, that was um, – if we hadn't been able to door knock, I, that would have been very bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as someone who's not in the Greens, I do mm-hmm. – but who ha- I have, a you know, a different experience of um, Greens politics in Melbourne to – Mm-hmm. what the the sort of political picture that you're painting of Brisbane and I suspect that it's that the Greens are more sort of have more of a yeah a socialist or industrial focus in Sydney as well um mm-hmm. perhaps that in Melbourne yeah I guess I'm wondering what's what's if you're a part of this conversation what's what is the kind of the national conversation amongst the Greens in terms of where the party goes from here like how do you how do the Greens cohere this project and you mm-hmm. know are you guys trying to bring the party more broadly over to like a, you know yeah a social, a social democratic perspective I think so I mean I can't really speak for what's like the conversation at a national level just because I'm not involved at that level but I would say that um you know I would hope that the the huge electoral strides we've made in Queensland over the past few years um are a bit of a indication that this kind of politics is successful um and I think particularly when the Greens in Melbourne kind of failed to pick up another federal seat, um, despite being really close in a bunch of seats, like that maybe is an indication um, that, yeah, that the Queensland model is is effective. Um, because now Griffith, uh, the federal seat that I was talking about earlier, Terry Butler's seat, is actually the most winnable seat for the Greens in the country now um, mm. on the on the basis of the primary vote that we're at now and the swing, the swing we got last time. Um, it, it's the most winnable. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to – yeah, I can't actually speak for what's going on in the Greens at a national level, but, um, yeah, I, I think – I hope and I think the indications are good that, um, yeah, that the Queensland kind of messaging and style of campaigning will hopefully, yeah, catch on um, elsewhere as well. 
I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the federal election mm-hmm. because we were all blaming Queensland, obviously. Yeah. Harrison won <laughs> last year. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and I, I, that's kind of, you know, the, the media talking point right now is like why, mm. why can't Labor seem to make inroads at a federal, in a federal election in Queensland whereas, mm. you know, the state party's doing quite well. I mean, is that actually a contradiction, like worth, worth kind of, you know, examining or? Yeah, I um, God, I I don't actually know too much about, or I I think at one point I did know more about the, the kind of federal breakdown, but it's kind of been it's gone gone from my memory now. Um, but I think that the the general trope of like right wing racist Queensland is definitely not um accurate. Uh, obviously um, there was a high one nation vote um here in the federal, but. To be honest, like I think that can be put down more to the failure of, of Queensland Labor um, than any like you know innate racism of Queenslanders. Uh, I think like in general, just like trying to demonise a group of voters um, as like the problem is usually not a good idea. Um, and the thi- well, the thing that gets that also gets thrown back in the face of the Greens a lot in Queensland is like, oh, you guys did the convoy, the Stop Adani convoy, and that's why um, Labor lost the federal election, which like, well, A, like I said, I think, you know, if, if Labor loses an election, they need to have a look at themselves, not at yeah. other parties. Um, but B, I also think the convoy was a fucking stupid idea. And like that kind of, I, I don't actually have any time for that kind of like Greens politics that, um, yeah, everything about it was terrible and yeah. we should not be going into so regional bad. communities lecturing them. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll go on record as being against the convoy. <laughs> Noted. No, that yeah. was a big um, feature of the of this election was the collapse of the One Nation vote. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So what 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 do you think happened there? I um yeah not not super sure. Uh, I would say that it's probably just another indication of what I was um, talking about earlier with uh, you know people just going back to labour essentially. Um, yeah. I also don't think One Nation campaigned that hard. I, like, again, like I was only really ever in South Brisbane, but um, certainly never the, – the sense I got was that they weren't running as hard as they have in, in previous elections. Um, and, yeah, in the end, like their vote relies on that sort of anti-politics sentiment, um, mm. which just wasn't that strong this time around, mm. I think largely because of the pandemic stuff. Um mm. An interesting little nugget, though, about One Nation and One Nation voters is that um, we, by which I mean the Greens, um, in this part of the world, we pick up like a fair number of their votes. So in in Griffith in the federal election last time, if you look at the swing we got, actually only a small percentage of it came off Labor. Most of it came off right-wing minor parties. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's quite interesting. Um, And certainly, like, my experience door-knocking absolutely bore that out. because Griffith is a, obviously a bigger seat than South Brisbane. It goes kind of further out into the outer suburbs um, where there is like, yeah, a surprising number of people who are voting for Pauline or voting for Clive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, yeah, they were, you know, those voters are actually the easiest to swing because they already hate politics. They already hate the two major parties. They hate the status quo. Um, yeah. Really the only reason they're not voting Greens is because no one's ever come and like offered them a, a good alternative from the Greens. And when you do, like, they flip quite easily. And even on Saturday on election day when I was um, handing out at the booth uh, I in yeah in inner city Brisbane, I had somebody come up to me and say, oh, yeah, I was kind of stuck between One Nation and the Greens. I don't know who to put first. Oh <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think I swung that guy. That's great. Um, 
So, yeah. so what do you say to the Van Battams of the world who are like, well, the Greens are only winning because the Liberals are preferencing them and, um, you know, the Greens are just, you know, rich Liberals dressed up in green T-shirts, blah, blah, blah. Tree Tories. Tree Tories. Yeah. Tree Tories, I yeah. Mean, uh, so much to say. Where do I start? It just, it just, it just seems that the the landscape is actually really complex. I mean, that's such a banal statement, but um, yeah, only having the one analysis of voter movement um, and it, you know, coincidentally lining up with, you know, um, trashing the party to the left of you is mm-hmm. it's it's just generally really unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, yeah, I believe cynical. cynical and I think there's like a very um, terrible simplistic class analysis going on in that position where it's assumed that nobody who lives in an inner city seat could ever be working class, right? Like yeah. um, young people who, you know, work in hospitality or retail aren't working class. People who are precariously employed aren't working class. Um, you know, like our area even has a fairly high number of construction workers because of all the property development, the um, apartment boom going on. Um, and also just like, you know, a lot of families who are just like, don't have a ton of cash. Like it's, it's not um, a, a particularly like, I mean, it is gentrified to some respect, but I think the idea that everyone is, is a wealthy lawyer um, is obviously completely false. And even then, like, I mean, I had a interesting um, little anecdote from a doorknock uh, last, I think it was last weekend. So the last weekend before the election, um, I went down the street that I used to live on um, in West End, which is um, very typical of the area as a whole in that there's a um, there's a fair bit of uh, kind of like old um, sort of like the house I used to live in was um, this kind of dank asbestos units um, that probably weren't up to health and safety standards. There is um, an Aboriginal hostel across the road from us and then like a few other, yeah, kind of older places. Then there's um, some fairly standard sort of middle-class family homes and then there's like these plantation-style mansions. Um, former The former mayor of Brisbane, Tim Quinn, lives on our street in like one of the most beautiful houses I've ever seen um, and there's a handful of, of yeah similarly gorgeous mansions. Anyway, there I was walking down the street and um, I was counting all the Amy and all the Jackie signs. There were nine Amy signs up. All of them were on like, yeah, the hippie share houses mm. or the family homes or the crappy old units. There were three Jackie signs up and all three of them were on the mansions. Mm. So... Like, again, like, I wouldn't even I, – I, I don't think that's, like, uh, the whole truth by a long stretch, but um, I don't – I think, like, Van Batten's analysis is, is also completely wrong and falsified and simplified. Yeah. Yeah, what? we should probably stop critiquing the Labour Party at this point. I mean, we know we know what's <laughs> yeah, going yeah. on here. You We're know, preaching to the converted. Be, let's all yeah. become future-focused, yeah. What, what, are, what are some of the issues that you bring up with the One Nation and Clive Palmer voters that they come around on like if you have a chat about things yeah well I think like the first step is just being like yeah I agree with you I think politics is broken too um which I think uh often people aren't expecting especially from the greens I think um Mm. you know we do have a reputation and I would certainly say in some cases this is not you know this is maybe well deserved of being a bit sanctimonious or wanting to lecture people um, about why they should care more about the environment or whatever. So just like starting from the position of being like, no, you're totally right to feel that way um, is quite powerful. 
And then I guess just talking more about um, the why the Greens aren't or, or why, you know, we think Amy in this case is not part of that political system, like she's not part of the establishment. Um, and the, the link we often end up making is the corporate donations link again, like just not taking that money is like such a good, you know, such a good fundamental first step. Um, and some of the things that, you, you know, sometimes back that up with is, you know, if she, if Amy gets elected, um, she's going to have to, like, she can't rely on tons of cash from corporate donors. Like, she's actually going to have to be hardworking um, if she wants to win the seat again. Uh, and people, like, often do see the logic in that as well. And then, um, yeah, I guess just talking, like, Amy's background herself, um, you know, she's she's not a lawyer, which is a good, a good first step. And personally, I think the Greens should be trying to run more candidates who aren't lawyers. Um, and she, you know, she's never, like, she, yeah, she's she's never really, like, been involved with politics. She's actually, like, a just a normal person who rents a room in a share house, like, you know, so many other people in this electorate. So, um, yeah, just, I guess, trying to position ourselves as being on their side. And then, and then also talking um, a little more, I guess, coming back to that tax and spend message, you know, the, the Greens are the only party who don't take corporate donations. Um, and, and because we don't take that money, we are in the position to take the fight up to big banks and mining corporations in parliament, like the Labor Party and the Liberal Party are never going to really stand up for you against these big companies because they take money from them. And that's, you know, simple as that. And um, yeah, like people just can immediately see the the sort of material sense of that argument. Mm. And someone might flip around from Clive Palmer on that basis. I reckon, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Looks like I, everyone I fli- flipped away from Clive. This time, yeah, right? yeah. Really poor, poor Clive yeah, he really did terribly this time. Well at all, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's again that thing of sort of what are your options? Like the fact that um, Australia has compulsory voting does change the landscape quite a lot, and I think that does benefit, um, you know, our campaign model, which is based on going and talking to people and basically having one-on-one conversations with them. Mm-hmm. And then when they go in to vote um, or they're making up their mind, they remember that conversation. And because they've got to vote for someone, like a lot of people may as well, they're just like, yeah, well, that person from the Greens did come and talk to me and I did agree with what they're saying. Okay, I'll do it. Like, I, I don't know. I'm I'm obviously um, hypothesizing here. I don't actually know the, the thought process of the undecided voter, but it does seem to pay off um, at, you know, when you look at the electoral results. Um yeah, I think it's just about being offered an alternative. Um, the Greens, you know, historically haven't really put it put the effort into to being that alternative for right wing minor party voters. Um, but it, you know, when you do, it does pay off. Totally. I did want to ask a larger question about, like, I guess the radical left and elections or electoralism. Mm. So this is like from 2011, sort of onwards like post-Occupy, post-Arab Spring, we kind of had these interesting sort of turns towards, I guess, electoralism or trying to to win state power, like from Podemos to like um, Cor- Jeremy Corbyn and, and Bernie Sanders. And then following the failure of those, well, well I guess you wouldn't say the Podemos has, has failed, um, but um, the, other, the other two certainly did. People on the radical left have sort of said, oh, well, this is the we should never have been involved, sullied ourselves with electoral politics um, at all. It just shows you, you know, that, um, yeah, we need to keep to a purely more insurrectionary strategy or something like that. But like what, yeah, I guess when people 
might question like what maybe the conservatizing sort of effects or the the failures of that brand of politics Mm. um what would you say in response yeah i mean i think there i i do understand and in in some ways actually do sympathize with the position that um you know this brand of electoralism is putting the cart before the horse a bit that you can't build Mm. a social movement from a political party um you know, a social movement should emerge organically and then form a political wing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, you know, I think we've seen like the failures of um, Syria and Greece, for instance, is yeah. a, a, an example of like, yeah, how that strategy did fail um, because they were not an organ, like did not have a organized enough civil society base. Um, at the other, on the other hand though, like you kind of have to work with what you've got. Um, like I don't um, see a, a, a kind of, a genuine social movement emerging in Australia organically um, anytime soon. Like I could be wrong. Um, and certainly, you know, the, the one of the defining characteristics of such movements is that they do tend to come out of nowhere and take everyone by surprise. Mm. Um, but, you know, we have this, this infrastructure called electoral politics and, and political parties. Um, and, yeah, in a way, like, I guess it's just you've got to start somewhere. And for us, we found this the easiest place to start. Um, and particularly, like, the Greens, I don't know what other states are like, but in Queensland, certainly, like, um, it was very easy to organise in the Queensland Greens. Like, uh, I think, you know, the Labour Party, for instance, right now is so it's such a kind of, like, broken institution that um, there's no way, for instance, a Jeremy Corbyn could emerge out of the out of the Labor Party. Um, the the party structure is just so fundamentally broken. But the the Queensland Greens um, were yeah like quite a good vehicle just to get involved with. Um, there wasn't like you know because the direction of the party shifted quite dramatically um, starting from about 2016, where I think you know a bunch of us who have more democratic socialist ideals became involved. Um, but there certainly wasn't like any resistance within the party, and in fact you know, everybody was quite happy to kind of go along with it and start winning seats. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's, you you just kind of have to work with the vehicle that's available for you, to you. And for us, it's been that. Um, And it's been a good, I think, a good recruiting tool as well. Like um, Mm -hmm. young people in particular, like on board with the Greens, they know what, you know, there's kind of a, a shared language there. They know like what it means to get involved with the Greens and it's um, maybe easier to recruit them to the electoral side of things than it would be to try to start a kind of uh, start a social movement. And even that, you know, as I said, is, is kind of um, a contradiction in terms. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we, like don't want to speak too soon because we do only have a councillor, um, st- now two state MPs and one senator, but I haven't seen any evidence of um, – Jonathan Street, for instance, uh, you know, becoming conservatized by yeah, the electoral yeah. world. <laughs> in fact, yeah, quite the opposite, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that in terms of um, occupying that um, democratic socialist space in Melbourne at the moment, um, you know, that would be the, the Victorian socialists. Mm. Um, it's true, Max. Like in terms of who's, run, who's like explicitly running. But the- let's see how well they did in the council elections. I'm sure they did terribly. Okay, well, that's, you know, besides the point, I'm just saying that, like, in terms of who's out, you know, explicitly running on, you know, similar politics um, and, you know, whether you think that they're doing it um, well or not, I would say it's the Victorian socialists. Like, obviously, like, the Greens are also running, you know, left campaigns. 
Um, but it's it's just a different landscape. And I, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, just to be magnanimous and zoom out um, from the picture momentarily, I think the most important work is that, is that, uh, that door, knock, door knocking and those conversations mm. that Joe, you've been talking about because, yeah, I think that the, you know, my, for what it's worth, my analysis is that, you know, in terms of the political split, you know, emerging along, uh, like, feeling inside or outside of society, feeling like you relate to the, you know, the powerful and the well-heeled or you don't, feeling like anti-elitism either appeals to you or, or it doesn't. And, you know, you, you might be you might be left, you might be right, but the general experience is that neoliberalism is exhausting everybody um, and you might find, you know, different forces or people to resent or hate or challenge or whatever within that landscape. But the, the antidote to this alienation as well as you know obviously labor organization and activism is communication it is Mm. it is a sense of actually being here in this place and feeling like I can talk to people people are listening to me Um, my anxieties about not being able to afford life my anxieties about this climate tipping over they're real they're being heard and I'm, I'm I'm part I'm part of a I'm part of a broader you know populace that, that, that has a voice in what's going on like that's what mm. people are not experiencing and I think that whichever force is able to cut through on that and cut through in a you know a genuine way with with good politics and good outcomes in mind is is something that you know all of us need to be behind I mean frankly yeah. if the Labour Party was doing that if they were occupying that space I'd be there you know yeah for sure yeah I mean I, I used to be a member of the Labour Party um, because I think like a lot of people I just was um, kind of coasting on the historical legacy, like yeah, the the idea that it was some kind of like Whitlam-esque um, party, and that's you know it's just not the case anymore, um, sadly. <laughs> but yeah, you know I think um, one lesson that has certainly come out of the Queensland state election is yeah, if, if the Labor Labor Party continues moving to the right, like they essentially cannot take those left wing progressive seats for granted anymore. Like the Greens will come along and scoop them up. Um, so they can't be, you know, they can't be all things to all people. You know, you've got to yeah. pick a side. And personally, I think they'll just pick the right. And there's certainly be no indication that they're, they're going to not do that. Um, but, you know, like that just leaves space for the Greens to become the social democratic party in Australian politics. And um, that's sorely needed. So I'm glad. Just um, about the, uh, you mentioned that you don't really talk about the environment. With people. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do want to ask, I guess, a bit about the sort of how the climate politics play out, because that does seem to me to be where the Greens would pick up voters from from the Labor Party is 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 and that seems to me to be one of the major differentiators, I suppose, is um around that support for continued support mm-hmm. for mining and failure to and now support for gas and um failure to um, set a 2030 target and like yeah that surely there's a lot of pissed off um like labor supporters or would-be labor supporters around that yeah those sort there, of issues there definitely are um and i think in 2017 when adani was more of a thing we did pick up a fair chunk mm. of those um i remember i scrutinized the count at the booth um that i handed out on um on election day in 2017 
and there was a ballot that had voted one for the Greens and the person had written on it, sorry, Jackie, Adani. Um, yeah. So, yeah, a hand, uh, certainly um, a good chunk of people like f- who do care about the climate, like Adani summed up for them um, the last straw in why they could no longer vote for the Labor Party. Um, however, I think there are probably a larger group of people who care about the climate but not enough to shift their vote on it. Um, right. So, yeah, I think I've certainly run into a lot of um, – yeah, progressive, definitely left-leaning Labor voters who um, just aren't willing to shift on that. And their logic is something like, um, particularly around Jackie Trad herself as a member of the left faction in the Queensland Labor Party and a powerful um, member, was like, well, we need Jackie in the party to stop them from becoming even worse on the climate. Like, she's the mm. only person standing between us and, like, complete, um, you know, what? just complete kowtowing to the right, <laughs> which, uh, you know, like... I just don't think that argument stands up when the when they've just approved 18 new coal mines in central Queensland and you know like and Adani you know has happened and was given and they've given mining companies a royalties deal at the same time as freezing public servant wages. Mm. Anyway, again, I, I won't start, but um, yeah, yeah. like there there is that kind of double think definitely among the a certain progressive section of the electorate. Um, but where I would, the other section of uh, the electorate where I would say the climate figures a lot is young mm. people, um, yeah. particularly first-time voters, um, that would come up very, very often. Um, but I think for those people, they're they're almost natural Greens voters from the start. Like, it's not a question of shifting their vote on the climate. They're, like, they're already there. Mm. Yeah. Without um, Jackie intervening, it could have been twenty new coal mines being. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so true. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I had the most frustrating conversation. Yeah, like I think it was the last voter calling session we did before the election, and I came across somebody who was like, "Yeah, look, if the Greens weren't a chance to win this seat, I would be voting on Greens, but because they are, I'm going to vote one Labor because I need Jackie in there, like making sure they don't." Um, become really right wing and we went on for like this was like a 25 minute conversation where I was like look it's not a question of like what if the left gets into power in the Queensland Labor Party the left faction has controlled the Queensland Labor Party for like quite a number of years now they've had plenty of chances and they they just it never pays off yeah anyway I um certain people's reaction like I've been enjoying picturing certain people's reactions to the result and that the com- person I had the conversation with I was like all right well I we'll guess we'll see who's more progressive now yeah. <laughs> um zooming out to the international level uh we had that discussion just then about how Bernie Sanders and uh Corbyn have fallen through in the US and the UK and Podemos is in in power but in, in a secondary uh function in the Spanish government then elsewhere, we've had things swinging in other directions. We've had Ardern getting back in New Zealand, what, whatever you interpret from that. Uh, Bolivia, mm. uh, left-wing mm. getting back in after a, a coup last year. Uh, and then mm-hmm. the plebiscite being passed in uh, Chile to remove the uh, Pinochet-era uh, constitution. And then we go to the US. And we don't know what's going to happen there next. But, you know, most likely Biden, potentially, but potentially Trump gets in. So we were thinking mm. it would be good if you could give us, because <laughs> the podcast will come out uh, in the days around the election and we don't know what the election result is at this point, if you could give us three uh, different yeah. takes as if it was the day after election day, if you give us a take of, uh, from it being based on a Biden <laughs> win, a Trump win and an uncertain result okay. where maybe there's going to be some kind of constitutional poo thing going on or something like that. So if you just give us a little a little sound bite for each one of your interpretation of the situation. 
Oh what God. Frank just said will be in the podcast, by the way, if we, if we, okay. keep, this, if we keep this thing. So I can't just say, like, I always knew this was going to happen and I'm glad to see my opinion vindicated yeah, um, exactly. for every one of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, for Trump getting back in, so I was one of – I will say with some pride that I was one of the few people who predicted his win in 2016. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I, I did say I had a radio show at the time and I said it on air in our pre-election um, show and then the next show I was very smug. Um, so I guess like I, I wouldn't – if he gets back in, I just – I wouldn't underestimate um, A, I guess the, the, the power that, that his particular brand of populism still has um, in the US. Right, You know, far-right populism is obviously a, a political force. So I don't think that's news to anybody. Um, but B, I guess – Again, it's the it's the turnout question, which we don't have to deal with in Australia, and it really changes the landscape. So I think, um, yeah, people just being incredibly unexcited about Biden um, and not turning out to vote for him would be the the factor I, I see in contributing to his loss if that were to happen. Um, if we go to Biden win, um, I don't know if there's anything really interesting to say about it. It's what everyone's predicting, but <laughs> uh, it's kind of annoying because um, last year a bunch of friends and I all had a bet where um, essentially my position um, was that nobody except Bernie could beat Trump. And it looks like I'm probably about to be proven incorrect on that one. Um, but I would say, again, the the pandemic changes um, everything and like just like yeah. the the handling of, of COVID crisis by the Trump, by Trump's administration has been like so shockingly bad that um, I really think it, it just throws everything off. Um, so Bernie would have won if, um, not for COVID, so <laughs> I stand by that that take. Um, and then uncertain result. Um, ooh, uh, I don't know. We're gonna have to wait and see. Um, I so interestingly, I'm a I'm a US citizen by birth. Um, so I do have the the opportunity to vote in in presidential elections. Um, and. I decided not to vote this time because I can't reward the Democrats after they knifed my poor sweet boy, Bernie. Um, Yeah. Luckily I'm in California, so it doesn't actually make a difference at all. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, I guess if it was an uncertain result, I would be feeling like slightly guilty, but then reminding myself that it didn't matter. Um, And I guess, yeah, feeling nervous. I mean, overall, like, I think the events of the last year has shown the US to be an empire completely in decline. Um, like it's there's no real coming back from here. Um, even though Biden obviously represents to a lot of people the the promise of normalcy and um, return to kind of the Obama consensus, um, but I I think that's fool's gold in the end. Like I I don't see any kind of real return to stability. So. If it were an uncertain result, I think that would chime well with that take, <laughs> with that yeah. particular opinion. Yeah. Very strongly presented, nicely done. Yeah, yeah. strong agree. Thank you. Um, that was um, really interesting, easy, fun, thorough. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah, I've enjoyed that a lot. Thanks for That's having me. Great. That. Thanks yeah. so much for coming on. <laughs>